So when we follow the Eightfold Path, it's a path of practice rather than an intellectual knowledge. And so today is going to be an occasion to elaborate on some of these themes while the majority of the day is going to be spent in contemplation, engaging with direct practices to see how we can understand what this is and how to let our minds and bodies settle. When we look at the container that is often descript or described in a traditional context, we look at the refuges and the precepts. We look at the relationship with speech and silence. And so today we can internally affirm the refuges and the precepts if that's something that feels suitable and makes sense. And we can work with silence and discussion in a noble context to begin to let our minds settle and not be engaging in the normal habits that we do when we're talking. And so there's nothing about the um, speech or silence which is um, mystical. It's just a, a tremendously useful tool to support letting attention settle and being able to pick up on and respond from a quieter place rather than from a habitual one. So we will have time of discussion, and that is certainly welcome. But I would ask that um, the mealtime be a time of silence and the day be a time of silence except for discussions. Yeah, Just as a way that we can make good use of this opportunity and to let our minds and bodies settle and then learn to be relating to each other from a, a place of um, stillness, a place of connectedness. And then um, maybe at the, in the afternoon when we have a tea break, we can, we can soften that, we can lift that. When we look at the refuges, what we're looking at is to touch into something which is bigger than our own personal story and predicament. When we take the refuges, what we're doing is we are aligning ourselves with the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And traditionally, these have many different meanings in them. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, on a traditional level, we're taking refuge in uh, this particular teacher and his life example and what he realized. When we take refuge in the Buddha from a, uh, uh, an eminent point, it has to do with that quality of being awake which is ever-present and in fact is not limited to people who self-identify as Buddhists. When we take refuge in the Dhamma, on a traditional way, we're taking refuge in all of his teachings, in his legacy, in the instructions, in the lineages and the lineage holders. But in an eminent way, what we're taking refuge in is the truth of the way things are in this present moment. And once again, that's not limited to people who self-identify as Buddhist. When we take refuge in the Sangha, we're taking refuge in the fourfold Sangha of monks and nuns and laymen and laywomen who have woken up, who have depth, direct and deep insight into the nature of the mind. But in an imminent level, we are taking refuge in anybody who is aspiring to wake up out of suffering. And once again, it is not limited to people who self-identify as Buddhist. 
When we take refuge in the, and we take the precepts and we form a container with them, we can use them as a mirror for what is skillful and what is not skillful in our minds. And so when push comes to shove and often when the pressure gets cranked up and the thumb screws tighten, you know, we're in positions where we are caught between making choices and sometimes it's unclear what is the right choice. And when we have a clear connection to precepts, that can be a very powerful reflection and mirror to help us steer through other times what what might be confusing or obscuring. So the first precept is to refrain from taking the life of any living being. The second precept is to refrain from taking anything which is not given. The third precept is to refrain from sexual misconduct. The fourth precept is to refrain from speech which is false or harsh or harmful. And the fifth precept is to refrain from any kind of drugs or drink which cloud confuse the mind and dismantle the container that makes it possible to keep the other precepts. So what I would like to recommend at this point for those people who feel so inclined is either silently or verbally to uh, repeat after me. I go to refuge in the Buddha. I go to refuge in the Dhamma. I go to refuge in the Sangha. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking life. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which has not been given. I undertake the precept to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from consuming intoxicating drink or drugs which lead to carelessness. And so when we start with affirming the refuges and the precepts, we are creating a container and coming onto the same page where all of us are moving outside of our own personal story as the center point of the axis and having the Dhamma become the center point of the axis, where the Dhamma is the interest in awakening to the truth of the way things are, where harmlessness and uh, honesty are the features. When we take the refuges and the precepts and we uh, recognize that these need to uh, be part of every aspect of our life, they need to include our home life, our daily life, our work life, then the morality section of the Eightfold Path is developed, which includes right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And so when we start with the Eightfold Path and we start with the morality group, then that gives us a foundation to begin to develop the concentration group, to begin to develop the aspects of the Eightfold Path that support mindfulness and concentration. 
without any commitment to morality, we don't have much ground to stand on. And so it might be a really good idea, but it's a little bit like building a temple without any foundation. It is going to collapse at the slightest um, disturbance of any wind. When we look at the description or the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness, we can see from his understanding that mindfulness is the ultimate truth of things that is directly visible, timeless, and calling to be seen. And mindfulness is available to us and shows us the truth of our own experience. Mindfulness is the quality of presence of mind, attentiveness or awareness or bare awareness. It's a quality of detached observation within and around, in one's body, heart and mind and outside. And it is something that we experience in present time. It's not something we experience in the past and it's not something we can experience in the future. Mindfulness is a quality that arises here and now. When we look at what's needed when we begin to meditate, what we recognize is that judgments and interpretations need to be suspended. We need to let go of our stories, of the creations of the me and the my that arise in relationship to our stories. We need to let go, but we also need to register that this is what's happening. So it's not like a sledgehammer that smashes something to smithereens. It's like a recognition of something that's arising and letting it go and coming back into the present moment, present tense circumstances. And so in this way, mindfulness is synonymous with bringing an open, loving, an accepted way of being aware of what is arising. So even though the word mindfulness can be used, we can also interchange it with acceptance, with a loving embrace, with allowing or knowing what is arising. And so implicit in it is a very deep conviction and commitment to harmlessness, to honesty, and to truthfulness. It's a register of what's happening without any distortion or contortion or manipulation. It's often the case for many of us that our thoughts come and hijack our attention and we are off and running. We're planning, we're fantasizing, we're daydreaming. Maybe I'll go to Thailand and ordain and become a monk or a nun. Maybe I'll do this or maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll study with David in a class. Maybe I'll participate more in waking truth or Bodhi mind. And we're not in the present moment being aware of our physical body. We're not in the present moment attending to our breath. We have an idea that is projected into the future and we're running after it. And so what's needed is to just know that that's what's happening. So the truth of the present moment is that that's what's happening. And the second that we register, that's what's happening. Then gently we can allow attention to resume connection with whatever object that we're working with. So it's not helpful under any circumstances to apply force or violence and to judge or condemn or to have some kind of a 
of a if-only syndrome looping in one's head. If only I could sit, if only I could concentrate, if only it were different, if only it wasn't like this. What is helpful is to wake up to the if-only loops and to recognize them for what they are and then to bring one's attention back to something which is more uh, supportive, more conducive, more present time, present the moment. When we look at the Eightfold Path, the classic description of right mindfulness is the four foundations of mindfulness. So here we have, once again, the four foundations of mindfulness, the Four Noble Truths, and the Eightfold Path constantly interweaving in each other. The definition of right mindfulness is the ability to bring attention to the body, to bring attention to the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral to bring attention to mind objects, and to bring attention to the groupings of Dhamma that we frame our experience by, according to the Buddha's teachings. And those of us who were in the class last Wednesday night would know that one of those groupings, one of the fourth foundations of mindfulness, is to look at our experience in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So again, we are weaving in again around this whole theme of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and how they interweave. So I think what I'd like to do to kind of shape up the day is to have this morning time before the meal offering be a time where we can settle, we can tune into our body, We can feel our breath. We can get a sense of what it feels like to have our attention connecting. We can have the meal offering and a short break. And then this afternoon, what I'd like to do is to work with the second noble truth and the third noble truth. So the day is going to be an interweaving of the factors of the path and the different truths. And we'll just do it from an experiential level more, in a practice level, more than we're going to do it as a doctrinal or philosophical level. And then there'll be a time this afternoon where we can talk and have questions or answers or discussion about things that come up related to the practice and things that come up in a a larger context of integrating the practice into our daily life. How does that sound?